Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is the 363rd episode of this podcast that we have done, and uh, we have done a number of tribute podcasts to some sports people that have passed away. Uh, thinking about Tommy Lasorda, and uh, we did David Stern, Kobe Bryant. Uh, we've done a number of uh, podcasts where what we do is we get people to come on the show and discuss the legacy and the life of whoever that happens to be. Uh, recently, we did one that was amazing about John Clayton. Uh, John Clayton, who is a dear, dear friend. Uh, this week, the sports world lost an icon. It actually happened uh, the day that we released last week's episode with Peter McNabb. You know, the podcast had been done. We, we weren't going to whip something together. Um, I didn't even want to put an addendum on it, and uh, the podcast was out. And the feedback from Peter McNabb was great. Those stories are incredible, too. But I wanted to do something special. And so I hope that you enjoy what we put together today. This is also a big week for the podcast. Uh, there's a new deal that we have going on with Pristine Auction. Uh, and we have a giveaway uh, that we are going to be giving away. So make sure you listen because in a few minutes we're going to uh, tell you all the details on how you can register. And there's a big giveaway. And Pristine Auctions is a collectibles. So there's a real option to win something really cool. And we'll tell you about that in just a couple of moments. Scully died at the age of 94. He was the longest of any broadcaster with a single team in professional sports history. Um, he began in 1950 when the franchise was located in Brooklyn and ended in 2016. Uh, in addition to Dodgers baseball, he called nationally televised football and golf contests for CBS Sports from 1975 to 1982 and then was NBC Sports' lead baseball play-by-play announcer from 1983 to 1989. That's when I was aged 9 to 15, and it's when I fell in love with the game of baseball. Uh, he also called the World Series for CBS Radio, but it was doing the NBC Game of the Week with Joe Garagiola. Uh, I was always amazed. The years that he was at NBC, he, he did... The 1984 Detroit Tigers Championship, the 1985 Kansas City Royals Championship, the 1986 New York Mets Playoff and World Series Championship, the 1987 World Series, another amazing one with the Minnesota Twins, uh, the 1988 one, the Dodgers, that's the Kirk Gibson home run, and then the 1989 World Series where they had the earthquake. Each one of those World Series were classics. You know, one thing we're not going to do on the podcast, I, I wasn't going to grab all the audio that you've been hearing uh, from everywhere. We did something I thought a little more unique. You know, throughout my career, I interviewed him about a half a dozen times. Uh, the first time I met him was when I started working with Major League Baseball. Uh, I was doing MLB radio. Uh, he would come on our MLB radio show. Uh, the show I did with the late, great Daryl Hamilton, Staying Hot, we had him on. Uh, there was one other time that I had Vince Scully on a show that I was doing. It was in 2014, and it's something I don't really talk about too much, but in 2014, I hosted the Mets pre- and post-game show, the New York Mets Radio Network. And the Mets were in Los Angeles, so we were at Dodger Stadium. And we recorded a pre-game spot with Vince Scully. 
just a couple of years before he would retire. He could not have been nicer anytime we interacted with him. And uh, when I approached him, uh, we agreed he would sit down and we would do a pregame spot and we would save the spot because we wanted to build it up. Um, that's how baseball broadcasting is. We would air it on the Sunday series finale on August 24th, uh, 2014. Thanks to a number of people. I want to thank Chris Majkowski, who's been on this podcast. Uh, I want to thank Ray Martell, who is the executive producer of the New York Mets now. These guys uh, went through painstaking efforts. Also, the folks at MLB Advanced Media for trying to find uh, audio after phone call after phone call after phone call and email after email after email. Um, we have acquired the audio from my pregame spot with Vin Scully the last time I spoke to him or the last time I interviewed him. Um, I'll tell the story later about how <laughs> I did interact with him that weekend over in the press box at Dodger Stadium. It was actually pretty funny, uh, but we'll save that for later. Also, uh, we will be joined later on by a gentleman who worked with the Dodgers for 20 years, uh, eventually was the PR director of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and is now the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, we have a superhero here on the podcast. Josh Rowich uh, worked with Vin Scully for nearly a decade directly, um, and he will share all his memories uh, from working with him. Uh, we will have Josh on a longer podcast uh, that is not about Vin Scully. We will sit down. We might even go up to Cooperstown for it. Um, the history of this podcast, we've had Jeff Idelson on a bunch. We've had people from the Hall of Fame on in the, in the past. The Hall of Fame is an amazing, amazing museum, and not just because of the exhibits and the baseball history, but the people who run it are just extraordinary. And when they recently hired Josh, I, I still can't get over that. Uh, Josh and I worked together at MLB, and uh, I just I absolutely adore Josh Rowich, and he is going to be on the podcast as well. So we have the pristine auction giveaway. Uh, we have Josh Rowich, but first, this is my conversation with the late, great Vin Scully. This is audio that has been unearthed here on Sports with Friends. This is my conversation from August 24th, 2014 from Dodger Stadium in the home television broadcast booth. And welcome back to the Nissan Mets Extra pregame show. Mets and Dodgers with the finale here on Sunday. The leadoff spot with the legendary voice of the Dodgers, Vin Scully, is brought to you by REMAX of New York. Nobody in the world sells more real estate than REMAX. And uh, Mr. Scully, it's an honor to have you on our pregame show. Thank you so much. The adulation that you get every time a team comes in, does it ever feel overwhelming to you? No, it's very surprising. First of all, Seth, I'm Vin. Uh, there's no Mr. <laughs> Scully that occupies the chair here in the booth. I'm just grateful for friends that I've had over the years in the business. And every time a team comes in, it's pure joy to say hello to friends whom you don't see all the time. So when the boys came in and I see Gary and Josh and Keith, etc., and I think, wow, it's so nice to see them again. One of the things that I wanted to start this conversation with, a lot of times people wonder about the fate of the Dodgers had they not moved west. 
Do you ever think about the idea of your legacy with this franchise having been done all in New York? Well, I don't really think about it anymore. I mean, we left New York in 1957 for all intents and purposes. I do marvel, however, at where the basketball team occupies. And once in a while, I'll read that they have done this or they've done that. And I think, had they followed what Mr. O'Malley was hoping to have, we would have had that geodesic dome, we would have had the stadium, and we would still be in Brooklyn. But, uh, you know, one of those things really, it's history. It's uh, a waste of time to really wonder and think. It's on to tomorrow. When you get to that point and the question inevitably comes back to how often and how long do you want to keep doing this, how often, how much of a topic is that in your mind? How often do you think about it? Or is it something where you're just taking it one day at a time? I really don't think about it once I make the decision. Uh, I don't really think about it at all until I get close to August. And then in August, I kind of sit down mentally and think, how do I feel? How's my health? Uh, am I still doing a reasonably good job? Is it still being accepted by the fans? And then I talk to my wife because, you know, uh, a marriage can be very lonely in this business. I mean, you're, you're on the road, although I've cut out the road pretty much. So at least now, from next year, I'll be doing home games. So uh, again, uh, it's God's will. I'm hoping that I'll be back next year, and I let it go at that. I want to bring the focus to the this year's version of the Dodgers, but one last question, if I may. Uh, this idea of doing games by yourself, it just seems like a lost art. It seems like nobody coming up in the business is even conceptualizing it. Is it something that you feel sh is better for baseball, or is it just how you're comfortable? Well, I would say this. It was pretty much the theory of Red Barber, who in many ways was another father because he cared that I would succeed. And basically, it's simply this. If I want to sell you a car, is it better for me to talk directly to you about the merits of the car, or do you think it's better for you to hear me telling somebody else about the merits of the car? In Red's mind, it was always better, one man, one voice, to the listener. And I've just followed that rule all the way. Uh, I have done other things with other announcers. Sure. I mean, I did the game of the week, and I did the NFL, and I did golf, where you're involved with a lot of announcers. Uh, it's just that I've been doing it now for so long that I think the fans expect it. Uh, that you're just going to hear one man at one time. Uh, what the other teams do, that's not in my province to decide anyway. But I do think something has been lost in the game. Because in the old days, if you said Yankees, you'd think Mel Allen. Right. If you said Giants, Russ Hodges. If you said the Cardinals or the Cubs, Harry Carey. Uh, if you said the Cardinals again, Jack Bush. I mean, it was one name always. And that, I think, is something that ball clubs should really think about. Are they losing that one-on-one -on -one touch with the fans by having so many people? But that's not my decision. Do you feel, one follow-up to that then, do you feel that technology has enhanced the way people watch baseball? Or do you feel that the changes in the evolution of this game from a broadcasting standpoint has taken away some of that aspect? Well, I'm not really sure. I can't speak for the industry in any way, shape, or form. All I know is that we have it here, 
one of the things I really worried about was they made a decision many years ago that the first three innings should be a simulcast, that I do both. And I worried about that because in the old days, of course, the big accusation was there's too much talking on television. But thanks to uh, Chick Hearn, God rest his soul, uh, the people here accepted the simulcast of a basketball game, and they obviously accept the baseball version. Real quickly, uh, this 2014 club, the ceiling and the expectation is World Series or bust. Do you feel this has the makeup of a championship contender? I think it's questionable. I think it's questionable for almost every team when you realize there are two wild cards and you have to wade your way through the playoffs. No, I don't think it's a cinch at all. In fact, in looking at this team, the Dodgers, day in and day out, there's a lot of times when they really look like just a 500 ball club. And then suddenly they'll reach to the sky and play well. But if you look at them, they are two games over 500 at home. And that's an amazing, glaring weakness, I think, as far as looking on to World Series. They'll be fortunate to get into the playoffs, and then we'll see what develops. Vince Scully, thank you so much for giving us a couple of moments. Uh, continued good health and continued success, and we hope to speak to you down the road. Thank you, Seth, very much, and it's nice to have an opportunity to say hello to once again to my friends back in New York. That's Vin Scully. You know the voice. This is the Nissan Mets Extra pregame show. Mets and Dodgers coming up. This is the WOR Mets Radio Network. We have something really cool and new for the podcast this week. After 362 episodes, we have never had a giveaway. We have a giveaway for the podcast. A signed Tyreek Hill mini helmet. The star receiver for the Miami Dolphins. We welcome Pristine Auction as a sponsor to Sports with Friends. PristineAuction.com is the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus BBB rating. Auctions on PristineAuction.com start at just $1, and each day there are over 1,000 autographed items available, so you win signed authentic signatures at affordable prices. Just last week, an autographed Justin Herbert jersey sold for $110. Deals like this are happening all the time on pristineauction.com, and they have just about every player you could want, including Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and much, much more. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today and get $10 off your first item one when you use code FRIENDS when you sign up. Again, pristineauction.com. Use the code FRIENDS and get $10 off your first item one. But that's not all. In addition to $10 off your first item, we are giving away the signed mini helmet, Tyreek Hill, to one lucky listener who signs up using the code FRIENDS. Here's your chance to win. All you have to do is sign up on their website using my registration code, FRIENDS, for Sports with Friends, to be entered. The links are in the description of this episode. It's your chance to win an authentic Miami Dolphins mini helmet signed by Tyreek Hill. All you have to do is go to pristineauction.com and use the registration code FRIENDS. You can see me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok everywhere. We'll be posting all the information all on my social media as well as the show notes. Now back to Sports with Friends. And as promised, we welcome in a guy who knew Vince Scully well. This is a gentleman who I've known for 
decades now. And my plan always was to have him on Sports with Friends to talk about his new role and his life in baseball and so many things uh, about him. But we were going to save that for after the baseball season. This was impromptu. This was kind of a, a, an emergency call. And uh, he's on vacation and he answered the bell. He uh, is a friend, uh, a true one, uh, as there are. Uh, joining us now, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've never gotten to intro you like that. Uh, Josh <laughs> Browich. First of all, congratulations on that gig. We can save all of the Hall of Fame stuff for when you come back. But thank you so much for doing this. No, it's my pleasure. And it's it's obviously really cool to uh, to talk to you and, and a true honor to talk about Vin. Yeah, it, it, he, he was such a such a gentleman. Uh, your years with the Dodgers. We talked about it at the top of the show. Um, you were in the media relations and you worked with the Dodgers. How closely did you work with Vin and what was that experience like? Well, I was there from about 95 to 2011, which included my my intern years and then the two years I was gone working at MLB.com with yep. you. So all told, about yep. 15 years at the Dodgers. And I'd say probably the last 10 was when I was really pretty close um, with the whole broadcast team, Vin included. Um, I think it was around 2005 or so that I became the PR director. Yep. And then ultimately, as I kind of moved my way up, by the end of my my time there, technically, I guess I was Vin's boss. So nobody, nobody actually uh, oversaw uh, Vin. Vin did what Vin did. You ever ask him as... for a tape? No, I'm just kidding. I should have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but he. Um, so uh, yeah, for the last few years, ultimately, I was one of the people that he would go to pretty regularly for whatever he needed at the team, and uh, that's just an incredible honor for someone who grew up listening and loving the guy. Yeah, it's it, it's remarkable. Um, he was so cordial. Uh, such just a nice guy. Um. In a minute, I, I want to tell you the only really funny Vin Scully story that I have. Um, but as he got up there, I mean, 2005, so you're talking a good almost 20 years ago. Um, what was what was he like at that stage of his career? Because, you know, when we talked to Vin, uh, he talked about just being one of the guys and just wanting to just fit in. Uh, what was he like? Was 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 he super fun? Was it was he was he hysterical? Was he a storyteller, or did he keep to himself? Like, what was the off mic Vin Scully like <laughs> that you can oh, tell? Funny. That you can tell yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, I would say he was as genuine a human being off the mic as you would have expected him on the mic. And so, for the most part, most days on home games or road games, if I was with the team, I would just kind of pop into the booth almost every afternoon around three thirty, four o'clock make sure that he knew what was going on organizationally, see if he had any questions and just kind of shoot the breeze. And I mean, the, I, he would always, always, always want to ask about my family and ask about what the, he's just, it, just like any other kind human being, that's the best word for him. He was just such a kind and genuine person. So no, not a lot of stand-up comedy. He wasn't cracking jokes left and right, but certainly um, if you think of any other octogenarian or uh, somebody's yeah. in their seventies and eighties, he was like your great, your, your grandfather who was just kind of, right there to tell stories yet he happened to be the best in the world at what he did yeah he, he was um one of the neatest things about uh his knowledge was he knew so much about the modern player he wasn't the guy and I, i'm not trying to put down other broadcasters you know I, i'm thinking about dave niehaus and ernie Hel or harwell like just legends you know bob murphy um what he never did was he never was be like you know, there's a young kid playing shortstop. Oh, he reminds me of Pee Wee Reese. Like he never went back 
How did he stay on top of what was happening in that game on that day? And how much interaction did he have with players? You know, in the last couple of decades, he wasn't the sort of guy that was hanging out down by the batting cage constantly and asking guys for stories. He just did crazy amounts of research. And he had some really good people who would help him and find some good mm-hmm. stories. And he would figure out which were the best to use. So, I mean, I think from that standpoint, he he did always recognize that it was about the game on the field in front of him and the people playing in that game, not the people playing 40 years ago. But what was always unique, I think, was when he would come back in the middle of the game for his little on-camera stand-up and tell a story that would harken back to older days or to some other yeah. unique thing. I mean, he just was so knowledgeable about so many things, not just baseball. The huge, voracious reader um, in his final years when he would only travel to the the NL West teams. I mean, he wasn't sitting at the hotel bar with us at the end of the night. He was back in his room reading and, and that was how he kept up with what was currently going on. Did you um, get a sense just from talking to other broadcasters in your various travels, whether it was with the Dodgers, uh, the Diamondbacks, you work with the Diamondbacks for a long time. And now with the hall of fame about uh, the fact that at the end of his career, um, he did the games by himself. Um that's it's simply not done. And if there's any broadcaster that wanted to do that right now, um, the, 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 the media people would say, no, I mean, I mean, yeah. nobody would, would, would allow that. Um, did other broadcasters comment to you about it? In, 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 you're smiling. Cause I have a feeling a lot of people did. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think it was so unusual for, for current times, but back then it really wasn't when he started. And I remember asking him, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago about it. And his view of what his job was as a broadcaster, he said, going back to his earliest days, his job was to help get people to come to the ballpark. His job as a broadcaster is to sell the experience at Ebbets Field or Dodger Stadium. And he always said to me, now, would I do a better job of selling the experience if I was talking directly to the listener or the viewer, or if I was talking to some other guy and saying, hey, they should come to the ballpark. And he just said, I always felt like my job was talking directly to the fans. And that just... It made all the sense in the world to me, even to the point where at one point I was wondering, like, well, maybe it's better to have a one man booth. But I, I think we've, we've progressed to where there is great things that come out of an analyst. And obviously he could do both things pretty darn well. Well, you know, I always love when there's a play by play person and an analyst as opposed to two play by play guys. Yeah, I always feel like, uh, you know, because when they switch off, you know, the one guy does innings three through six or whatever it is. And I always just get the sense that um it's a it's a weird feeling because uh, the other guy doesn't know what to chime in with. You know, I like it when yeah. there's an when, when there's an analyst, when there's a real person coming in uh, that's telling you something that you didn't already know. And I, I always think there's there's value in that. Did you ever talk to Vin about the other sports? That was the one thing we when, when I spoke to him in the in the piece we aired. Uh, we had a limited amount of time. It was the Mets pregame show. So that mm-hmm. like we, we bumped everything else so I could have as long as I possibly could. And I think we got eight minutes out of, out of the whole thing. <laughs> um, I always wanted to ask him about his other sports, you know, calling the NFL. Uh, did you ever talk about it or did you overhear him talking about the great experiences that he had doing other sports? Yeah, I mean, he really, really loved doing golf. That was a huge passion of his. He loved to play golf as well. So I, I and I can't remember specific stories where we would talk about it, but certainly when I mean, I remember at one point saying to him, like, I can't believe you you did the catch, the Dwight Clark catch. Like that doesn't matter. Right. How lucky. And he just said, I, I mean, he's he was always so humble about everything he right. did that in his mind it was like, 
well, you know, I just happened to be there that day and I told the audience what I saw. I mean, he just, he was never about making it about himself. And that's what I think everybody loves so much was his humility and just, and it was genuine. I don't think he was faking it. It was just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I called the game that I saw. So I know he loved doing it. I know the travel is what ultimately he just, he really wanted to be around his family more. And it was really hard to do that when you're doing all these other sports and jetting off for the game of the week, et cetera. And uh, I know that's probably what made him stop doing it. I think a lot of people who are listening to this broadcast, uh, this, uh, this podcast are know him from the game of the week, the NBC baseball game of the week with Joe Garagiola. Like that's my introduction to baseball um, that, and you always knew it was a big game. If your team was on that, that channel that again, now, and this is not to knock the current broadcasters, but sometimes they're on ESPN and sometimes they're on Fox and sometimes they're on Turner and sometimes they're on Apple and sometimes they're this. And, and, you know, the sport is nothing like the the game that Mm -hmm. I remember watching back then. We'll save that conversation for another day. The idea that um, it was a golden time. It must've been a great honor for him to do national broadcast, but did you ever get the sense, you know, he's always considered again in my conversations with him he always considered the dodgers that was his his main thing that was the thing he was passionate about everything else was just gravy and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth either yeah no i think he he had an, any number of opportunities to become strictly a national person and he could have made probably just as much money and but, yeah. but i think he always felt very originally indebted to the o'malley family and what they did for him and his family and making him essentially a household name across the country but I think he just always, he said, I remember actually reading one of the stories this past week, um, he just always felt honored that the Dodgers, quote unquote, wanted him, that he was part of the Dodger family. And I think, um, sure, the national thing comes with money and attention and fame and et cetera, but that never seemed to be what drove him as much as just the the day-to-day love of doing Dodger baseball for the fans, whether it's L.A. or nationally. Well, and I, I just would wonder what it must be like I always thought that would be a great movie, either a documentary or just like a movie about the Dodgers moving. Because unlike, for example, the Cleveland Browns, who moved in the middle of the night, you know, like this was something that was the the great frontier. It was it was amazing. And they needed the Giants to be the dance partner. And Mm -hmm. and and then there was all that. There was a great documentary about the Brooklyn Dodgers. But I always loved the idea of the transition to Los Angeles. Because if you think about it, people who listened to him in Los Angeles didn't listen to him in New York. Technology didn't exist like that. So he had to reintroduce himself to a new audience twice. Yeah, I mean, that's what's incredible is that not only was he reintroducing himself to the audience, he was introducing the West Coast to baseball. I mean, it was to to have a team like that. And and in a lot of ways, I don't think he gets nearly as much attention, but Jaime Harim did the same thing in Spanish. Correct. um, Starting the next year that, I mean, the two of the, for two guys side by side to do this is, is just unbelievable. And uh, I'm actually heading uh, right after we finish this podcast, I'm heading over to the, the the memorial service that they're doing for him. And I'm sure Jaime will be there and Peter O'Malley. And you think about um, Peter and, and what his father was able to essentially do change the game by bringing baseball to the West coast. It's, it is, it is hard to fathom that before that games weren't being played West of St. Louis and that um, what it would have taken to take this beloved team out of New York. And um, anybody who's interested, you should check out Peter O'Malley's website. Cause that documentary you're talking about has so much good information about uh, the ghost of the, Flatbush, the right? The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and just understanding what went into it and some of the myths about it and some, some of the truths about it. And, 
Um, Vin was there for every second of it, trying to get people to, I mean, you're playing baseball in a football stadium at the Coliseum for four yeah. years. And this guy's in his, his twenties, early thirties doing that. It's just, it's unbelievable to imagine what he experienced. And, and then actually one of my great memories was, was going back in 2008 when we played at the Coliseum again and had, it was a Guinness record of 113,000 fans and visiting Vin in his booth and just thinking, God, this guy sat here doing these games yep. 50 years ago. That's, that's crazy to me. Um, and yeah, just truly an, a remarkable career. That's, that's um, amazing. Um, the last time I saw Vin Scully, so I'll wrap with this. Uh, the last time was uh, 2014. The Mets played the Dodgers. I was with the Mets broadcast and that's where we got the interview that we, we aired. And we didn't air it right away. You know, we, we recorded it on the first day of the series and we saved it for Sunday. We kind of built it up. And so I had I had reconnected with him. Every other interview that we had done was over the phone. You know, he would come on MLB radio. And, you know, so this was in, in person. And we, we shook hands. We, we did our thing. We didn't take a picture. And I'm it's killing me that we didn't take a picture. I didn't even yeah. think about it. But <laughs> we were sitting in the Dodgers press box. And it was a Friday night and they had announced that because it was Friday, they were honoring America. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing. And teams do this all the time. The Brewers do it on Sundays. They they, they have this thing where they will play God, God bless America during the seventh inning stretch on mm -hmm. a specific day. <laughs> and my point, and I was with Jason Smith, the, the Fox sports radio host, we were sitting together. And I, I, what my point was, was that if you're too, if, if, if as an organization, you are going to honor your country, then do it every day. <laughs> don't do it. It's not, you're not honoring America on Friday. You either do it every day or don't do it. And I'm not saying yeah. you have to do it, but if you're going to do it, do it every day. And so we were going back and forth and it wasn't like an argument, but we were debating it back and forth. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, Vin Scully walks over. And agreed with me. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> exactly. If you're going to do this, you know, and, and he was he was he immediately did it. And I looked at everybody as he walked back to the booth and I looked at him and I said, this 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 discussion's over. He, <laughs> he it was like a mic drop. It was it was like he just he authorized that thing. And every time I see a team sing God bless America, I always think, well, Vince Scully and I think that they should do this every day, not just on a day of the week. That's Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll tell you, interestingly, that brings up two things. One, we did for quite a, a period of time actually do it every day. And yeah. I, I, I recall some of the details behind it, but they're not relevant here. The thing that kind of your story reminded me of, which actually I think might be my most powerful moment with Vin, and it has nothing to do wow. with probably what fans would think, but um, this was around 2009, 2010, thereabouts. We were having Memorial Day, um, just the typical pregame ceremony. And I think we had some, whatever we did, I really don't remember what the pregame ceremony was, but it was pretty, it was pretty unexciting. It probably wasn't as good as it needed to be. And Vin called, Vin called and asked if I would come visit him in his booth. And so I wandered down there and he said, look, I got to tell you, like, we should have done more than this. These people gave up their lives for their country and we owed them more than what mm -hmm. we gave them today. This pregame ceremony, whatever it was, a first pitch by a player, whatever we did, he just said, we're better than that. And we've got to be better than that. And he wasn't, he wasn't mean about it. He wasn't, right. it, he knew it wasn't my department. He just said like, the look, tone, we got to be better right. than the this. The tone was and perfectly was, appropriate. 
it was just, it, it hit me and I'm even getting chills saying it because I just remember thinking, here's a guy who we, we every day set out to try to honor him and who he is. And he kind of was the conscience of the Dodgers for, for 67 years. Sure. And he's telling me we did something wrong and he's right. And I went back and I, I said, guys, we, we blew this. We've got to find a way to be better than this in the future. And it was just, it was so classic, Vin. It was understated, but it was respectful. And it was, look, this is how you do things around here. And I just remember thinking, man, I feel bad we've let this guy down, but I'm glad he, he, he I'm glad he respected me enough that he was going to call me in here and say, you got to get this right in the future. And I think we, the organization probably has for the last 15 years since then. So it's really pretty special how he went about, even when he was reprimanding somebody, doing it in a way that was meaningful and uh, he really genuinely loved this country. He loved what it stands for. And he, he loved that his freedom to be able to do what he did came from that place. And uh, yeah. just another great memory I'll always remember about him. Uh, that's great. That's, that's, that's great. Well, on that note, um, I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing your insight on this. I knew uh, that you would have exactly what this podcast needed. Um, again, congratulations on your, all your success. I mean, I, I, I knew you when, man, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and you know, the, the history of the hall of fame, uh, and my adulation of, uh, Jeff Idelson, um, was, uh, without question. And Jeff's been on this podcast a, a bunch of times. Um, and this is nothing against him. We never re really connected when, once he, he did it, but, um, I, I, I need to have a conversation with you about the role that you now have and how your career in baseball got you to that point I, I i have goosebumps just thinking about it i cannot <laughs> wait till we sit down maybe even in person we'll pull, we'll pull that off um awesome. uh josh it would be great to, to have you back thank you so much and you really did your friend uh vince scully proud uh, i appreciate that seth and happy to catch up again soon and uh hopefully see everybody up in cooperstown before too long Oh, and the stories I could tell from Cooperstown. Been there a bunch of times, and they are just amazing, amazing people. Josh Rowich will be back on the podcast after the baseball season. We will do a whole episode on his experience as the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Again, I want to thank all the folks who helped me find audio of the late, great Vin Scully. He was an iconic broadcaster. He is probably one of the best baseball broadcasters in the history, and that sport la has lasted over 100 years. It was an honor to interview him. It was an honor to get to know him. It was an honor that he chose my side on a debate about the national anthem, and we will always, always cherish those memories. This podcast is dedicated to the life, the legacy, and the career of the late, great, Vin Scully. For those of you who came for the Linda Cohn interview, that'll be next week. We promise. We talked to Linda. She knew the uh, brevity. She knew the enormity of this decision to do the tribute podcast for Vin Scully. And a lot of times whenever we do these tributes, uh, we always push something else aside. And Linda was wonderful about that. So Linda Cohn next week. Our thanks to everyone who helped put this show together. We leave you with the amazing voice of the late, great Vin Scully. Many years ago, a little red-headed boy was walking home from school, passing a Chinese laundry, and stopped to see the score of a World Series game posted in the window. The Yankees beat the Giants 18-4 on October the 2nd, 1936. 
Well, the boy's reaction was pity for the Giants, and he became a rabid Giants fan from that day forward until the joyous moment when he was hired to broadcast Brooklyn Dodger games in 1950. Ironically, October the 2nd, 2016, will mark my final broadcast of a Giants-Dodger game. And it will be exactly 80 years to the day since that little boy fell in love with baseball. God has been very generous to that little boy, allowing him to fulfill a dream of becoming a broadcaster and to live it for 67 years. Since 1958, you and I have really grown up together through the good times and the bad. The transistor radio is what bound us together. By the way, were you at the Coliseum when we sang happy birthday to an umpire? Were you among the crowd that groaned at one of my puns? Or did you kindly laugh at one of my little jokes? Did I put you to sleep with a transistor radio tucked under your pillow? You know, you were simply always there for me. I've always felt that I needed you more than you needed me, and that holds true to this very day. I've been privileged to share in your passion and love for this great game. My family means everything to me, and I'll now be able to share life's experiences with them. My wife, Sandy, our children, Kevin, Todd, Aaron, Kelly, and Catherine, along with our entire family, will join me in sharing God's blessings of that precious gift of time. You folks have truly been the wind beneath my wings, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me on this incredible journey of 67 years of broadcasting Dodger baseball. You know, friends, so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67-year career in baseball, and they've wished me a wonderful retirement with my family. And now, all I can do is tell you what I wish for you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life seems a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me, and I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day, and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, oh, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be.